Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Our inheritance, uh, what's, what we have inherited from our family uh, in terms of our genes, our looks, our uh, maybe uh, our red hair or our height or um, our laugh or um, you know maybe our uh, sense of what makes a good Thanksgiving, you know, those things that we inherit. And you know, it does remind me of a couple of tales before we get to the, the text for today. I, uh, there's an old tale about um, a, f- a father who had a magical ring that made him wise. And um, he had three sons. Who of the three sons would inherit the, the magical wisdom ring? When he died, um, he didn't tell the sons who was getting the ring. But the next time the sons got together, they were all a little sheepish to show that uh, they, had ha- they had the ring. It, it turns out all three of them had a ring. and uh, They took it off and looked at it, and the rings were identical to each other. Uh, but of course the question was, well, who had the real one? The father had made two copies, and uh, so sort of given each son a ring, but hadn't said which ring was the real one. So they went to the judge to look at the um, look at the will, and in the will, in fact, the the uh, the will had said, "I'm giving my rings to my three sons." And the father in the will had said, uh, "You know, I, I've made a copy, two copies, and they're identical. You won't be able to tell them apart." And so it's up to each son to prove by his actions who has the ring of wisdom. Well, um, it, that's, a, that's a great story. I, um, I've got a family version of that that's not nearly as, uh, I don't know, has such, nearly such a wise point at the end. Uh, my wife's dad, so my father-in-law, they, they grew up with this fantastic Advent wreath. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about it because we're nearing Advent time. But it, not Advent wreath, Advent calendar, excuse me. It's a, a wooden calendar with a tree on it and little pegs that you hang, uh, you know, the 25 days of Christmas ornaments on. And each of the ornaments is handmade, little wooden ornaments. They're painted and it's absolutely beautiful. And of course, uh, Carissa and her brother uh, grew up with this and they both adore it. And, you know, the question is, well, who's going to inherit this wonderful Advent calendar with these precious little wooden ornaments? And, you know, who gets it? Her dad was genius in this. He commissioned copies to be made. And so he made kind of identical copies for uh, Carissa, his one daughter, and then his son Aaron. And so now we have a copy that we hang up each year, and we love it, right? And and he uh, was able to diffuse the tension that way. But, you know, we have inheritances, don't we, that uh, are always mixed bags. I want to think today about the blessing 
and sometimes the curse of inheritance. As we finish off Thanksgiving, we're headed towards Christmas, and, and maybe we're thinking a little bit in that direction. And I've got a verse here from Hebrews chapter 11. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real, even if we do not see it. I like this New Century Version translation. Faith is the reason we remember great people who lived in the past. You remember a couple of uh, Sundays ago, we talked about what does it mean to be biblically literate, to know your Bible. And in that sermon, I had said, you know, it's, it's not just enough to hear the word. We have to do it, as Jesus said. It's not just enough to own a Bible. Uh, uh, over 85% of homes in America own a Bible. And not just one. The average number of Bibles per household is four. We own Bibles. But are we doing the word? Are we living it out? Are we acting on it? Continuing that thought, we might ask, well, how do we get faith uh, through scripture, through church? What, what does it mean to have faith? Um, as we saw from that sermon, it was not just enough to read, to hear the word, but we've got to do it. Faith here, as we start to see, is, is being sure of things we hope for, knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. And faith is always connected with our inheritance. It's the reason we remember the great people who lived in the past. Faith is an inheritance. <clears throat> by faith, it was by faith that Isaac blessed the future of Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons, Joseph's sons. Then he worshipped as he leaned on top of his walking stick. It was by faith that Joseph, while he was dying, spoke about the Israelites leaving Egypt and gave instructions about what to do with his body. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. And it was by faith that the people crossed the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians tried it, they were drowned. We've got this beautiful legacy of faith, this inheritance as believers. Uh, even though Mosaic is a young church, a new church, uh, we have already inherited this past. You and I, we, we step into line with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And this is what Hebrews is trying to tell us, that by faith, you inherit this story. You inherit these characteristics. Uh, we always think about the characteristics we have inherited from our parents and our grandparents. Those good traits and also maybe those not so great ones. But by faith, we have a beautiful ancestry here. Um, something more than even Ancestry.com could probably give us. What is our response to this? Um, gratitude. Thankfulness. When we read this, we can almost hear the gratitude, the thankfulness, the joy coming through Hebrews 11. We're thankful for the past. Just like we saw with biblical literacy, it's not just enough to hear. We've got to do with gratitude. It's the same way. It's not enough to just say thank you. Uh, we have to act on it. Uh, I don't know uh, if you... Uh, <clears throat> it seems like a lot of southern homes, you know, there's a, there's a little blue glass chicken somewhere in the kitchen. And maybe at some point uh, you had a grandmother that handed you a blue glass chicken and said, I want you to have this. Uh, put it in your kitchen. 
you probably said thank you for it. But of course, then the question is, what did you do with that chicken when you got home? Did you go by the attic and drop it into a box and, and let it disappear? Or did you proudly display it in your kitchen uh, like your grandmother would have wanted you to? Gratitude is demonstrated by our actions, isn't it? It's shown by what do we do with that gift? Um, some gifts are not always easy to display. Uh, my grandmother, uh, not only did she have a glass chicken, and if you don't have one, you need to look around. I find them like in every home I go to. I don't know where, where they started this or where it comes from, but I see them everywhere. But uh, my grandmother served in the Red Cross in World War II, and while she was abroad, uh, somehow, I'm never really sure of the story, she came across and confiscated an enormous bedsheet-sized Nazi flag. And uh, talk about an inheritance, right? I mean, what? To, it's amazing. It's cool. What do you do with it, though? You really can't display this like you can a blue glass chicken in your kitchen. Uh, just draped it across. In fact, um, their house flooded once, and this you know, precious Nazi flag uh, got wet and soaked, so we had to dry it out. So we hung it. It's, it did like the whole length of a, a clothesline. I mean, it was huge. And so we hung it out there, and within an hour, there was a helicopter hovering over our house, you know, taking a look. <laughs> what are these people doing with this? Um, so uh, inheritances come in all shapes and sizes, uh, don't they? And some of those things are precious, even though, uh, you know, obviously we don't really want anything to do with Nazis, but it, it was, it's a precious memory. Uh, even though you might not have chosen a blue glass chicken for your kitchen decoration, uh, there's something precious about it because of who it came from and the story it's connected to. Uh, we didn't get to choose Jacob and Joseph and Moses, but because they're part of our story, they've become precious to us. And as we go on, Notice what happens. It's a little bit smaller text. Sorry about that. Just trying to squeeze it all in. I should have put it on two different slides. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies and was not killed with those who refused to obey God. Do I need to give more examples? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through their faith, they defeated kingdoms. They did what was right, received God's promises, and shut the mouths of lions. They stopped great fires and were saved from being killed with the swords. They were weak and yet were made strong. They were powerful in battle and defeated other armies. Women received their dead relatives back, raised to life. Others were tortured and refused to accept their freedom so that they could be raised from the dead to a better life. Some were laughed at and beaten. Others were put in chains and thrown in prison. They were stoned to death. They were cut in half. They were killed with swords. Some wore the skins of sheep and goats. They were poor, abused, and treated badly. The world was not good enough for them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the earth. And all these people are known for their faith. I love this piece of passage because it's such a mixed bag, isn't it? As we read it, it starts out great. Oh yeah, David and Gideon and they defeated kingdoms and they received God's promises. They shut the mouths of lions. But 
just like any family, they're not all heroes. They're not all success stories. Oh yeah, some of them were tortured and uh, laughed at and put to death. And some of them wandered around in, sh- in the skins of sheep and goats and lived in, uh, you know, holes in the ground and caves in the mountains. Had no money or no prospects. Inheritance is one of those things that you don't get to choose, do you? It's a blessing and it's also a curse at times. No one wants to uh, have inherited some of those things up there, being put in chains and thrown in prison and uh, live homeless in the desert. Um, You don't get to choose your inheritance. Do you? It can be a beautiful thing. But it can be other things as well. If I went over to your house and, hey, that's a nice boat. Uh, Oh, I inherited it. Well, that sentence could come out either way. Anyway, really. I inherited it with a big smile on your face. It's a boat. How great. I inherited it. Or, ah, I inherited it. (laughs) What am I going to do with this thing now? This terrible frown of, you know, agony. And uh, what am I going to do with this? We don't get to control our inheritance. And so some of that inheritance is the kind of thing that becomes more of a burden than a blessing. Just because of that. You may remember the name uh, Phil Jackson. He was the uh, coach, <coughs> former coach of the Chicago Bulls basketball team back when they in their glory days with Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman. Uh, and then he went from there to uh, coach the LA Lakers and uh, produced championships results with them. Um, Retired in 2005 after winning, you know, multiple uh, championships in the NBA with different teams. But he wrote a memoir called Sacred Hoops where he tells about being raised in North Dakota of all places. You wouldn't think of that as a basketball uh, location by parents who were both Pentecostal preachers, as it turned out. Uh, Phil Jackson speaks very lovingly of his parents and his grandparents and their religious devotion. But he confesses in his memoir that uh, he never felt at ease or at home in that world. Uh, He always felt a little bit out of place with his Pentecostal upbringing. Uh, He he says he he never got the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, uh, and he he never felt the movement of the Spirit the way that his Pentecostal family did. He tells one day of coming home from school uh, to find Uh, the house empty, which was really unusual. His mom was almost always there in the kitchen uh, and to greet him, but she wasn't there. And his first thought was that his mom had been raptured. She'd been taken off to heaven and that he had been left behind. He talks about this inheritance of faith as a burden. And so we realize that even something as beautiful as the faith that we're reading about here in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is a beautiful blessing of an inheritance. Can it also be a burden? Uh, Yeah, yeah, of course it can be. Um, And some of you might be dealing with that as well. Um, Maybe you were raised in a home where faith was central. And that's a blessing. Maybe, Maybe you would point to that and say that's the, you know, that's what really defined who I became or how I became who I became. That my faith, my upbringing in the faith was what really gave me that solid foundation in life. 
Others of you, maybe you say, well, the reason that I'm at Mosaic is because I grew up in a church that I knew I had two choices. I could either leave the church altogether and never go back, or I had to find a different church. I couldn't stay there. That inheritance of that church I was raised in was such that, uh, you know, it was a burden on me. I, I couldn't live with that. And so I was either going to not go to church, or I could find a place like Mosaic. And I, I am glad that we have found each other and that you have found this place. Um, that's the nature of inheritance though, isn't it? Uh, that it can be the burden, it can be the blessing. Um, what do we do with it though? Here, here's the, I mean, here's the real takeaway I, I wanted to, to think about. Inheritance is a blessing, it is also a burden. But the thing is, your inheritance does not define you. And that's the beauty I find in the God of the gospel, in the God of Jesus Christ. That as you read over and over again, the Lord says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Something you've not yet seen. The good news is just that. It's good news that your past does not contain you, prison you, define you in any particular way. That at every point throughout Scripture, we see a reversal of expectations. That where God should be choosing the strongest, he chooses the weakest. Where God should be choosing uh, the biggest, he chooses the smallest. That where God could have in Jesus found uh, the most well-qualified 12 disciples to start the Christian church, but instead he chose fishermen and tax collectors and random guys off the street. <laughs> Which is to say that God is never looking at our inheritance and saying, well, th there's no way you can be useful in my kingdom because of your past, because of all the many good things you've had or all the terrible things that have happened to you. God wants to use you wherever you are and with whatever you come with. There's no one too rich, too well-off, too well-bred that can't find a place in the kingdom of God and can't be used by God. And there's no one too poor-off, too broken, too backwards, too uneducated that God can't use. That's just the beauty of it. God says, if you're going to come to me, you're going to have to let go of all those blessings and burdens. Because I'm always doing a new thing. And I always have something I want to forgive in you and something I want to give you. And we have that, don't we? Always, well, all of us have something that needs to be forgiven, that needs to be let go of, that needs to be dropped. And we all have something we need to be given, to be entrusted with, to be empowered with. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It does both. It says, I'm going to forgive you of those past mistakes, of those past wrongs, of those past decisions. And I'm going to give you a better inheritance. I'm going to call you sons and daughters and give you something even better than you could have imagined. That's the beauty of what we have to offer here. It's something that we didn't earn. 
and something that can't be taken away. It's the gift of relationship that we get to call God Abba, Father. When of course we don't deserve to. <laughs> but he loves us anyways. You, some of you may uh, know the name Stanley Harawas. Uh, he's a professor of ethics at Duke Divinity School and uh, he's, a, he's a really well-known uh, if there is such a thing as a well-known Christian ethicist. He's, he's one of them. He's been quoted in Time Magazine and Newsweek and um, he kind of gets around some. But he, <clears throat> he's, a, he's a widely regarded kind of speaker on moral topics in the Christian faith. But Stanley Harawas grew up in rural East Texas. Uh, his father was a leathery old bricklayer. Um, he had and his father had five brothers who were also bricklayers. When he turned seven, Stanley Harawas started laying brick, just like his father and his uncles. Um, he laid brick every summer before he went off, until he went off to college. And Stanley Harawas would say the only time his father didn't lay brick was during World War II when he went off and served and then came back and immediately started laying brick again. Stanley Harawas, although he was the son of a bricklayer, he'd inherited the bricklayer gene, I guess, if there is such a thing, um, had felt a call from God to, to serve the church, to serve the kingdom of God in some way. And so uh, he went from rural East Texas off to Yale Divinity School in 1962 at the young and bright age of 22. He was going to make something of himself. He was going to be somebody different. Uh, he was going to get out of his working root, class roots and become a college professor, a professor of ethics. At Yale, uh, Stanley Harawas learned about social theory, policy, uh, and other things that he'd never heard of before in East Texas. Uh, phrases like, gun control. <laughs> a phrase you wouldn't hear in East Texas. On phone calls from Connecticut back to Texas in the early 60s, uh, Stanley Harawas would just spew to his parents all these wonderful things he'd been learning about and reading about. The ethics of abortion and the death penalty and social justice and racial equality and all this stuff. You know, he tried to engage his father in these conversations, but you know, his father really wouldn't have any of it. Um, he just seemed disinterested, unwilling to really have the conversation or, or think about it. And so, you know, finally Stan Harwash just kind of gave up and said, okay, well, Dad, what, what have you been doing? His dad said, I'm making you a gun. Dad, I don't want a gun. I'm a pacifist now. I'm, I'm studying ethics. We don't need guns. Uh, all semester long, during that long uh, year apart, his dad worked fashioning the barrel and the stock and the hammer and soldering and polishing to perfection this, uh, this rifle. Stanley came home uh, to Texas for the holidays. It was a long and exhausting ride from Connecticut all the way to Texas, you can just imagine. He opens the front door to the house, and there's his dad standing there, holding this rifle for his son. And I guess at the sight of that rifle, all the 
pent up just resentment about his dad and his inheritance, his working class roots, the, how different they were and how, how just disconnected they were, just sort of bubbled up inside of Stanley Harawas. And he pointed an angry finger at his father and he said, society will eventually have to take guns away from people like you. He said in reflection that that was the lowest point in his moral development. Uh, it was the, the lowest day in his life, he could even say. Because he couldn't see past the object, the gun in front of him, to his dad's uh, love and devotion and, and care for his son. That he'd taken the time to do something like this for him, make something for him. Stanley Harawas will tell you to this day that that rifle is his most precious and treasured possession. He had to go through that though, to get to the other side. And as you think about your own inheritance, the good, the ugly, the bad, everything in between, and that's just that's just what we're going to have to do is work through every piece of it to get to the other side and see the blessing in it. As we look at these names in this list, um, we realize that, you know, each one of these individuals, uh, yeah, they were people of faith, but they were also people with tragic flaws, with major bad decisions in their lives, with bad habits, with um, huge and awful things that they had done. And you know, that's just it. I mean, we all come with baggage. Uh, none of us are going to inherit the perfect life, the perfect family, the perfect uh, job. We're all going to have to work through the baggage. And hopefully, at the end of the day, we'll be able to see the blessing. We'll be able to see what God was doing with it all along to create something beautiful in our lives. And I guess when I think about faith, I mean, that's where the faith really comes in. God, can you take something that I could only see as nasty and ugly and negative and could you convert it? Could you change it? Could you transform it into something beautiful that I would be proud to display or talk about? That's going to take faith. As we think about Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What a beautiful prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what we need, the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. What a beautiful thing. And three things he calls out so that you can know the hope to which you've been called. And maybe that's what we need this morning as we think about our own inheritance. Uh, is there any hope with it? <laughs> yes. 
to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, that God has prepared an inheritance for us, that God has called us his children. He's got something beautiful for us. And his incomparably great power for those of us who believe, a power to raise the dead, a power to change the unchangeable, a power to transform uh, even a rifle into a beautiful inheritance for a pacifist. Uh, what is it in your life this morning that needs transformation by the incomparably great power of God? What is it in your life that needs to be let go of? And what is it that needs to be baptized, converted, transformed into something beautiful? The Lord knows what that is already. We can just confess it and let him know that it is his.